0: I think it's really important that we build our support system and that we have this network of people that really do care about us that we can call on at any time. It may be one or two people, it could be a bigger group than that, but we all need our support systems and we need desperately to be the member of somebody else's support system. And that's where I think this grows.
1: Hi, I'm Sylvia Beckerman. Join me today as I talk to an extraordinary woman who is changing the world by making a difference in her life and the lives of those around her. Hi,
0: I'm Robin Benoit and I am a three-time author. This is my very first fiction book and I'm excited. And today, welcome to Sylvia
1: and Me. Robin, thank you so much for being here um, with us today. And as you said, your first fiction You didn't mention the name of it. It's the 80-year-old sorority girls. That's right. So sorority. Um, First of all, why go from, you had two books that were nonfiction. What made you think of of fiction this time?
0: Um, I had always wanted to go in that direction with fiction. And even with my nonfiction books, there is a purpose behind them they were driven by personal experience. They are about my daughter's vision therapy experience and how it helped her regain her um, ability to see. And so when I started thinking about this book, there were two things that were going through my mind. One is um, about how to tell the story and how to engage people in the story and the purpose, which was to try to battle negative sorority stereotypes. I have been involved for 40 years with my sorority from a college member all the way through to chapter advisor to a national officer and now as a foundation trustee. And I can tell you that the sorority experience is not what you see depicted in books and movies and television shows. And it just has long bothered me that we sorority women do not say anything about it. We just kind of think, oh, it's just a joke. It's fine. Well, it's not really. And it's, a, it's affecting young college women and even fraternity young men and why they think they're supposed to be behaving in certain ways because they see that in movies and on television.
1: Well, you know, it brings to mind uh, to me the movie, The First Wives Club. And the reason why it does is because they were three very, very different women from different backgrounds who wound up in three uh, totally different uh, situations but wound up coming together. They had been close for quite some time, lost track of one another, although they kind of you know, read about this one or that one. And their friendship wound up reconnecting. Uh, unfortunately, over the death of one of them, uh, there had been four. So, female friendships are exceedingly important. And as you said, you know, in the movies, uh, there's such a stereotype of sororities. Um, The shenanigans, the, I would call hoity-toity, the clicks, the so on. But what you bring out, it's all about friendship.
0: It is. It's all about friendship. And it's the fact that women need women. Uh, We need women friends in our lives. And the relationship is so important. And I think the pandemic affected interpersonal relationships and I think that this book is very timely to remind us that we need to work on those relationships and rank them as being
1: very, very important in our lives. And you focus on uh, three women, um, one of whom has Alzheimer's, uh, and how they come together. In fact, it's four women, one of whom Vivian has Alzheimer's, and how they kind of come together and, and really support one another and, and help in different ways. You went through, uh, as you said, this book is really based on, not really, but it's based on some situations that you've had, one of which was the unfortunate uh, death of your mom back in 2017. She had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. How did you how did you react to that? because I know it kind of took you a little bit of time to understand how to um, treat someone with Alzheimer's that as much as we want the person who we remember who we know to be there, we can't do that. can you tell, uh, tell us how that affected um, what you did with this particular book. Sure. I,
0: it, it was really very devastating to me to lose my mother, but have her still physically here. And I would look at her and think, please snap out of it. Let me jog her memory. Let me try to do whatever I can. I, I, I hoped that different medicines would bring her out of it. And it took me such a long time to understand that I needed to just love her where she was at and who she was at that moment. And when I finally grasped that and we, I would go over and just color with her in coloring books or take her Frank Sinatra CD music and sit and sing with her or whatever she needed and wherever she was. It took such a burden off of me and was such a relief. So in the story, Vivian does have Alzheimer's and her three other sorority sisters, her close, close friends, seem to get that from the beginning. And they immediately understand and don't go through years of torment like I did. They just know how to love her for who she is in that moment. And I think that if everybody could understand that from
1: the beginning, I would be doing a great service to others. And the thing is that even though they did understand it at the beginning, they got it, which um, most people do not. And I and I really understand how you'd like to get that out there that it's not there's not a fix the the fix if you want to call that is being able to accept um, where they are. And your mom was going back in time. She was remembering times of when she was younger and friends. So did that kind of then bring in the story because you have, you know, 80 year old sorority girls. Mm -hmm. Did that help you bring these characters together?
0: It did. Her her belief, that's the reason it's titled the 80-year-old sorority girls, because obviously 80-year-old women are not girls. But Vivian, in her flashbacks and in her thoughts, um, thought she was young again. <clears throat> and she thought her sisters were young again. And many many of the things that were happening in the assisted living center reminded her of her sorority house. And so yes, I definitely took the story in that direction.
1: And The characters that you have um, even grow from this. They do, they do. And it's,
0: it's a multi-generation story too. It's not just these three sorority sisters that help support Vivian. It's their families as well because they have been close for 60 years. And they all know each other's children and grandchildren. And Vivian has nobody. And I will say that up front. She doesn't realize it, that her husband had passed away 14 years before her. She keeps asking, where's John? I have supper on the table and John is not home for dinner. And so she's very confused and they just work with it. They start telling her little lies, like friendly, sweet. I need to lie to you to help you kind of lies, like. He's just on the golf course or he'll be home in a minute. And so letting her go back into these flashbacks and helped them as well to be able to um, work with her and for the grandchildren to come in. And sometimes Vivian might have thought her friend, her, that granddaughter was actually the friend because they look so similar from her memories of younger days.
1: So, How did they really build the relationship over 60 years? Can you talk to how how that's possible? Because not everyone can. So how did you see them building this relationship and keeping it for so long?
0: Well, I kept it to where they all kind of stayed in the same town, except for a couple of times, I do allude to the fact that Vivian and her husband moved to Washington DC for a time. And there is a character in the book named Marie. And Marie lives in Washington, D.C. as well. And she flies in. She's Button's sorority little sister. And she flies in to see her. But the relationship is, is built and it talks about through the lives that we have, the tough ups and downs. They shared weddings and babies and watched each other's children. And they went through, unfortunately, the deaths of different people where they supported each other. One of my favorite scenes that I wrote is a a memory of Lainey's, Vivian's friend and big sister, just sitting at the duck pond, throwing bread to the ducks and talking when they were in their thirties because Lainey had just lost her husband. And she felt like Vivian was the easiest person for her to talk to about whatever was on her mind. So I just kind of talked about different things that they remembered and how it just spanned all those years.
1: Now, were these relationships, were, the, were a lot of these, some of the memories that you yourself or some of the situations that you yourself have uh, lived through and gone through with your friends throughout these years?
0: Sort of similar. Sure. I mean, I'm still very close to my sorority big sister and I, we don't go to the duck pond and we don't feed the ducks and things like that, but there have been times when I have just called and said, can we do lunch? And really what that means is, can I talk and you listen? And then maybe give me a sounding board and some advice for what you think. And so I used that for those characters because that has built that relationship for me and, showing that how that works and how it grows. And I think it also changes a lot from when we're 18 to when we're in our fifties, sixties, eighties. And we get busy with our lives. We get busy with other things, but there are also just points in the story where um, the character Helen might remember that she taught Vivian how to cook Um, because she was making a special birthday dinner for her husband and she's a terrible cook. Well, that was a little bit me because I'm not a great cook either. And I never had anyone come by and show me, but I guess I thought, wouldn't it have been great if they had?
1: So you mentioned how the pandemic um, kind of upset and you know threw us all. And a Tizzy still has many of us, you know, upside down. How do you how do you see women's friendships? Not everyone went to, into a, a sorority. As you said, there are so many stereotypes about sororities. How do women go about building friendships and keeping them, even though they might not have been in a sorority, but they're, they're, they could call themselves sort of a sorority just by being together? How do you see them forming? Because it's not a formal group. And then continuing to hold on to that friendship.
0: Well, I think there are many different types of sisterhoods. It certainly doesn't have to be a sorority where you gained your friends at all. Um, And I do coach a little bit on this from a sorority perspective with young women, um, because they are not really great at communications. You would think they would be as much as they're on their phones, but they're truly not. And so the first thing I tell them is put down your phone and really, really talk. And I give them a key phrase, tell me about. I said, those are your keywords. You sit down with somebody and you say, Tell me about. And it can be whatever you want. Tell me about what you did this summer. Tell me about. Your dog that I saw you got, tell me about whatever you want. And it gets the other person talking. And your job is to listen and respond. And that's how you start building this interpersonal relationship. And how do you build friends? And how do you make that last? Well, I think that we as women have got to get out of our houses now as best we could in a safe way. And we've got to join in some way, whether it is a neighborhood event or a church, or whatever we are comfortable in, and put ourselves out there, and listen to others, and ask questions of others, and engage with others, and then follow up. We've lost the whole, um, I guess the word I'm looking for is custom of writing notes to people, writing birthday cards, writing thank yous, sending holiday greetings or New Year's greetings. And try your best to weekly think of a friend and reach out, even if it's just an email or a text. And, and I know that sounds like a lot, but it really does
1: work. But even if you do one or two of those things, it's a question of starting because we have lost that touch that we used to have. Um, social media, you know, the pandemic took us away from that Interaction on a personal level, where you're meeting one-on-one, um, for some people, it opened up a world of getting to know people that they wouldn't have have uh, known before, and hopefully, maybe for some who are introverted, it helped them to open up. Right, exactly, and,
0: and I think it's going to be really important as we continue to age, I'm 59 now, and I'm thinking about that. And I think it's really important that we build our support system and that we have this network of people that really do care about us, that we can call on at any time. It may be one or two people, it could be a bigger group than that, but we all need our support systems and we need desperately to be the member of
1: somebody else's support system. And that's where I think this grows. And that is very, very important. I know my sister has friends from from middle school to junior high, as we called it back then. My My brother has friends from elementary school. And to me, that is absolutely amazing, delightful. And I see that in my own children, that having made friends and kept them, boys, girls, it's, it's an important thing. Um, you know, as, as women, we are more apt to open up a little bit more, but if we don't have that support system to talk to, to open up to, we've lost that. And, you know, the simple idea of a thank you note or a birthday card A real one, not just a text or, you know, something online, but to actually take pen in hand and write a note, which is almost a lost art these days. I see some of the younger people picking it back up, which I think is great, Um, but there's a whole generation that has lost that. So, young girls going into college these days, um, now that colleges have reopened on a full time basis, hopefully, how do they, how would you even suggest, how does somebody go about finding out what kind of sorority they would even, they should even apply for? Because there are, as you said in the movies, we hear about so many different ones. How does one go about finding what would be best for them?
0: Well, there's not a lot of um, early in studying on that for them to do a little bit. What they need to do is when they enroll in college, they should be given information about their fraternity and sorority life, sometimes called Greek life, on their campus and how they can participate in what they call, what we call, sorority recruitment. And it's a Roughly a week, it depends on the size of the campus. And you sign up and think about this you get to college and you don't know many people or anybody for that matter, and you just joined a group for a week of, say, a thousand girls. Look at all the friends and connections that you're going to make before school even starts. And then you start visiting these different sorority houses, and it's a mutual selection process where sororities will narrow down their field and what we call potential new members will narrow down their field of houses to choose from. And then at the very end, you land on bid day, which is the day when you get an invitation to join. And through this whole week, you have met so many people and you've talked to people like I, we were discussing how important that is. And I think it is just the strongest way to kick off a college experience because it eliminates homesickness a lot for people to instantly feel like they have made a friend and they feel like they have ownership of what's going on at school and they've made connections. And I think that that's really super important. So the way they go about it is they meet the women in these houses and they hear about their national philanthropy that they support. Perhaps you're super interested in Alzheimer's or interested in Children's Miracle Network or any number of different sororities, that may appeal to you. Or perhaps they're really, their grade point average is the highest. So you know that academic excellence is really high on their list and you're going to get that. which is something you feel that you need. So it's a great opportunity to really connect with the campus, meet a lot of people and put yourself on a path to something that can last you for the rest of your life.
1: And that's it. And, you know, unfortunately for a lot of these young um, college students, some have not been back in school for, you know, schools were shut down for a year, two years. Uh, And it's very difficult. They haven't, you know, they've been away from that setting for so long as grown women, we've been away from the settings of the real book clubs or the um, you know, outings or the lunch dates and and so on. And as you said, it's important to start that, to start at some place. And as young women, it's, they had they do have the opportunity but they might not always have that gumption to really go and and take that opportunity um for those who are not in college okay they're going to trade schools or they're they're out working how would you suggest that they go about not you know us as adults but you know younger people in their twenties and their thirties to actually realize that this is a very important part of life. Well, that is like, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a really tough thing to do. And I think that it's important for us to realize that our mental health requires us in many ways to have relationships and not the support system that you need, the friendships you need, the the activities that you need, and many of those things can be found in our communities, whether it's um, volunteering for a community service project that you're interested in, or a philanthropy, or some kind of a, a 5k run, or working out at your gym, or going to a book club, or a church. There are ways to find these things, especially through like Facebook and Instagram, you can definitely use your social media to find yourself a club or an activity that you're interested in, even if you're not on a college campus. And I think we need more of this. And I think we need to encourage community leaders and step up ourselves and realize that there is a void there. And we need to try to figure out a way to fill it.
1: And as we get older, um, and you know, for those who have children who have left the nest, um, spouses who have uh, passed away, um, people who have gotten divorced and find themselves uh, without that support that maybe they had had before, it's so important, these lasting relationships, as you said, to have someone that you can support back and forth, be there for one another, have someone that you can just call up and say, hey, what are you doing? Let's have lunch. Mm -hmm. Because as you said, it's really a chance to talk. And it might not even be an in-depth conversation, but it's a conversation.
0: Well, I will say just last night, my 23-year-old daughter said to me on the phone, I never hear from anybody. Nobody ever calls me anymore because now she's out of college. And I said, who did you call today? And it was dead silent. I'm like, you know, sweetheart, this is a two-way street. It's not just you waiting for somebody to call you. Who have you reached out to?
1: You have said that writing the book was therapeutic for you. Can you tell us, go into that just a little bit more?
0: Well, I don't want to give away the story, of course, but I'm sure you can imagine that with Vivian having Alzheimer's, there's some tough parts of this story. And there were some memories of mine that were very still tough for me to swallow and to process. And there's one particular scene that after I wrote it, On paper, I actually felt like it wasn't a big deal anymore. My mother was very proper and, you know, the kind of woman in the 1950s that wore a dress every day and probably pearls on top. And my mother had lost her ability to reason to the point that she thought her laundry basket was the toilet. And that sat so ugly in me and festered in me. And yet as I used this as something that was happening to Vivian, it no longer felt crushing.
1: Isn't that interesting? That is. That is. So what is so writing is therapeutic and writing fiction. Do you have any plans to write any more fiction?
0: Well, somebody asked me the other day, is there going to be a sequel? Because I just love these little ladies and I want to know what happens. And I actually want to know more about what, how they really met and what happened to them years ago. And so I've, I've, I'm thinking we'll have to see how this book goes, but I am thinking about possibly a sequel or a prequel to this book. And, um, my husband said the other day, you know, you're a writer, So you should just keep writing. Exactly. And and so I I believe I will.
1: Yes. Robin, where can people find out more about you?
0: Easy. Just go to RobinBenoit.com. It's R-O-B-I-N-B-E-N-O-I-T.com. And there's information on how you can order the book and a little bit more about me and the story. And I would love to have... Readers, you can also email me at robin at robinbenoit.com.
1: The 80 year old sorority girls. I love it. Robin, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. And um, I look forward to your next, see if there's either a sequel or a prequel. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Sylvia. I really loved it today. Thanks for talking with me.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, please share it with another person you think would be interested. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. This has been a Life of Prey production.